0: Hi, this is Thomas Thomas Seawaters on Blog Talk Radio for thomasseawaters.com. I'm having a few minor technical difficulties here getting my guests online with me. So I'm going to try to ramble and change computers at the same time, which is probably really difficult for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I'm really pleased tonight to be able to bring the guests that I have for you Tara Marie uh, to talk about Latin LGBTQ pride here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, uh, I'm doing a series on pride uh, this year. Let's see here. Hello, Tara. Thomas, Tara, can you
1: hear me? Yes, Hi.
0: I can hear you. Yes. Okay, Yay. we solved this problem. Okay. <laughs> uh You know, uh, because we weren't online ahead of time, uh, because of my technical difficulties here, I really can't uh, uh, introduce you properly. So would you please introduce yourself?
1: Yes, not a problem. Um, My name is Tara Sherry-Torres, and I'm the founder and operator of an initiative called Cafe Con Leche. Cafe Con Leche connects the Pittsburgh Latino population, we also promote Latino culture in Pittsburgh and create a space for creative for dialogue and creative problem solving. We've been around since January of 2014, and we came out of a resident artist project at Most Wanted Fine Art Gallery in Garfield.
0: Very cool. So um, Yeah, and I
1: don't know if you want me to give me a little, like, if you want me to give you a little bit of background on our Latin Pride, or we can wait for that, too. It's up to you. No,
0: go for it. Yes, please. (laughs)
1: Awesome. Yeah, so, um, so like I said, we started in January of 2014, and really the premise was, you know, I have lived in Pittsburgh for about eight years. I'm a Latina from Brooklyn, and, you know, Pittsburgh Latino population, we are here. We're just not really seen, and I struggled with that for a long time. I was an organizer for about five years at a community development corporation here in Pittsburgh, and one of the things that I really came to find was not only is the Latin population not really seen, but in general, the city struggles a lot with segregation, not just with race, but also around class lines, and just thought. I mean, it's hard to get people even off their block, um, you know, crossing rivers. We always joke about that, but it's real. So the thought behind Cafe con Leche was really how do we start to bring together different kinds of people to really start building relationships for the sake of building relationships because it's the quality of the relationships that ultimately dictates whatever the community actually ends up looking like or whatever the city ultimately ends up looking like. And, being that I'm Latina, it's all about the food and the music and the dance, and so I just started doing pop up events that really incorporated those things, um, and each of my events is sort of centered around a different theme or issue within the Latin culture, again, just focusing on the stories that I can tell um, as a Latina. And we've done events like Edencia Africana, celebrating the African roots of Latino culture, we recently brought in a play called Yo Soy Latino, really speaking about the woman's experience of being a Latin woman living in the United States and what does that mean. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to do the first Latin Pride event here in Pittsburgh because, uh, you know, Pride is a universal thing and we don't have a lot of Latin Pride in the United States in general. And so I'm happy to be able to provide this space to start pushing that conversation of what does it mean to be Latino? as well as discovering the intersectionality of being LGBTQIA.
0: Wonderful. Would you say that the community in Pittsburgh, within the uh, Latin community, uh, is it a large LGBT uh, or a small, or we have really no idea because it isn't very visible?
1: Right. (laughs) That's an excellent question, and I actually don't even know the answer to myself. Um, I think that this event will certainly begin to show us what that community actually looks like. The thing with Latinos is that we can look like anybody. We can look very white. We can look on the other side of that spectrum and then everything in the middle. So when we talk about what does it mean to be Latino, there are many different racial and cultural implications that go into that experience. And so we place that into being in the LGBTQIA community where intersection is across the board. It's going to be interesting to see what,
0: what kind of comes from that. So I'm even curious to find out what it means. Wonderful. I have another caller on the line, and I'm going to have them hold for just one more minute. I have one more question for you. Sure. Uh, before I find out who this is and bring them on to ask their question or their comment. Uh, I hear all the time from people, why can't we just have one big pride? Why why smaller prides? And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about, uh, uh, you said a few things about what you'd like to see come out of your Latin pride celebration. How Could you kind of encapsulate what, what this might do or how this could help uh, LGBTQ people? AI people within the Latin community.
1: Yeah, I mean, pride again is a universal concept. Nobody owns it, and so when you go to other large cities, you see pride happening. Like if you go to New York, where I'm from, there's a pride every single weekend in the month of June. Brooklyn has its own pride, Queens has its own pride, Manhattan has its own pride, and then within those prides, you have their own contingency. And again, it speaks to the intersectionality of what it means to be a part of the LGBTQ. IA community, just because we have varying sexual identities and gender identities, and that's sort of what encompasses us, encompasses us in this letter, this lettering group that we've kind of created to try to include everybody, it certainly doesn't discount our own experiences in terms of race and culture, place, language, interests, and individuality. So it's not that we're having many different prides. It's that pride is our place to be able to express ourselves, and there's many different ways to express ourselves. And because pride is universal, we need to embrace that and allow for multitudes of ways for people to be able to express that.
0: That sounds great. And not only are we not having separate prides, we're just celebrating pride more frequently in more different ways. Exactly. And making, making sure that we let everybody know how much they're welcome. Yeah, all In exactly. all of those environments. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to bring this caller in and see who we have online. Hi. Caller, you're online with thomascwaters.com and Blog Talk Radio. Do you have a question or a comment?
2: Um, hi, this is Julia.
0: Hi, Julia.
2: Hi. Okay. <laughs> I actually mostly called in to listen, and I will say... Um, that um Tara, I really um love how you expressed um how you just expressed the the need and intersection intersectionality and um of having more and more vibrant and more diverse uh celebrations. Um I really thought that was beautiful and um uh I identify as a white, queer cis woman and um I'm just wondering how um you know how we can, you know, uh help celebrate support as uh people who are, you know, not uh, not latino, not latina and um don't have any claim to, you know, culture or language or history in in that sense and how we can support thanks.
1: Hi Julia, thank you for your question.
0: Hi. <laughs>
1: um yeah, that's a really great question. And, I mean, I think, you know, I think everybody has a different answer to that question. And I and I think depending on who you ask and what their experience is, you'll have a different answer. So I don't know if there's a right answer. But I will say that from my perspective, um, and really what I try to do with Cafe Con is really focus on the sake of building relationships for the sake of building relationships. And so I suppose that my response is really, just if there are people who want to support something, whatever it is that they want to support, and no matter what perspective they're coming from, is to just be supportive. And that can come in many different forms, whether it be monetary, whether it be listening. I always say validating and sort of saying, yep, that's right, that's your perspective, and, and you're, you're coming from power, and you're coming from the right place, um, is always the right place to take. Um, and again, money is always a great thing. But I think ultimately... I think this idea, and this has been coming up a lot, especially with Iggy Azalea coming to town and everything, is this idea of, like, not taking up so much space, which I thought a lot about. And I think ultimately it just comes to when we talk and we have conversations and we create spaces, it's really about just being intentional and thoughtful about who's speaking, what the focus is, and what the commentary is. And I think just as long as there's intentionality and focus on the end goal and really the positive relationship building, you really can't go wrong. And maybe I'm an optimist, and I know I am an optimist, but that's really where I come from is just like I'm really interested in building relationships and building bridges between all people. Ultimately, that's how we get to equity.
0: Thank you. So Julia, much. you <laughs> got a follow-up question?
2: Um. Well, I don't. Are there others on the line? I don't want to.
1: No, I have, have nobody
2: else on the line right now. Question. Okay. All right. I'll ask follow-up. <laughs> Go for um, it. Um. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm just. I'm really excited um, that you're doing this. I really appreciate the work that you're doing to um increase visibility of communities in Pittsburgh who are invisible. Uh I think it's as far as my conversations, right. you know, to a lot of people um in Pittsburgh and um yeah, so I guess um sort of, you know, not to, you know, I'm just wondering like how like how are you getting the word out with um with uh Latino communities maybe who who um where there isn't like a large percentage that you know um identify as out queer people, you know, is there any response from different communities or like, you know, do you guys I'm I'm just wondering what what you find yeah. would help with, like
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean and, 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 and I, I, I think, think that's, that's, that's an excellent that. question. And that's something that as as Catholic that we struggle with a lot. Our budget is really limited when it comes to marketing. And so we're not really able to do paper marketing. When I say paper marketing, I mean like printing out a lot of flyers or doing, you know, actual physical mailings of any type. Um just again, our budget is like super limited. So the obvious free choice is um to do social media. I think we have had a great response from social media. Um whenever it does come to undiscovered populations you never know where people are going to hear from you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't ever know where undiscovered, undis- quote-unquote undiscovered or invisible populations actually are. And so you can't ever make an assumption about what the best way is to reach them. I wish that I could be able to do paper marketing more. Um, I think that that would yield certain results. I think specifically when it comes to Latino community, and you know, we're talking about LGBTQ issues is really deep because of um, the machista culture culture that exists in Latin populations. And so when we talk about really undercover communities, we're talking about men and women that are expected to act in hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine ways in order to fit in to their culture. And oftentimes being hyper-masculine, hyper-feminist, and then sort of being seen as homosexual can result in really violent reactions from the community. So I don't know. And I think that I say that, and then I also say that there's no one rainbow, sort of rainbow, right, ironically. There's no one experience and there's no one way um, that Latinos actually are. There's so many different classes and experiences that exist in that experience that it's hard to sort of say who will and will not be receptive within the culture, within Latino culture, as we call it here in the United States, to being LGBTQIA. So that's really like a long-handed answer to saying we're not really changing our marketing tactics. I am reaching out to a lot more um, gay media outlets, LGBTQIA media outlets, really trying to do my hardest to speak with people who actually are directly serving um, LGBTQIA individuals. But there's no guarantee that I will actually reach every single Latino who may identify as one of these identities because they may be living so undercover and so hidden and have so many other issues, including immigration, language, finances, interest, so many other things that even with a huge marketing platform, they still may not feel safe coming out to these kinds of events. So I suppose that my desire with this event is to start a conversation around that and begin a safe space that can hopefully be continued into other years, because as we all know, one thing isn't enough. You have to do consistent things in order to really be able to call attention to the people
0: who need it. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, thank you, Julia.
0: Yeah, Julia, thank you so much for calling in. really appreciate your questions and comments. And if you want to jump in with anything else, we'll be on uh, the air for a few more minutes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, I see two events, a Friday evening mm-hmm. and then a Saturday event. Is that right? Yes. yes. So tell me about so Friday, each of those.
1: Yes. So Friday, June 5th at 7 p.m. at Bricolage Theater, we are hosting the Pittsburgh premiere of the Grand Varones which is a storytelling documentary by Luis Ortiz-Fonseca, who is actually a Philadelphia-based individual. And he did this amazing documentary. He basically thought of humans in New York and really wanted to do that same project in Philly around gay and queer Latino men in Philly. And so he went around with his iPhone and his camera equipment, and he just started taking photos. And he would do the interview, like, on his phone, but then realize, you know, just to be able to make sure that he was, like, recording the interview correctly, but really through this process realized that the that his project that he thought was initially a photo project was actually a video project because the stories went so much deeper than anything that he could actually say in a in a in a paragraph or you know just like a little caption of a photo. So he's taken all of these images and all of these stories and made them into this amazing um, storytelling documentary, and we're really proud to be able to premiere that here in Pittsburgh. And he's actually coming. Down for the night, and he's going to be doing a Q and A afterwards. Um, super excited because the follow up project to this is actually going to be a, literally a sister project called Hermanas for um, gay Latinas and queer Latinas, or you know, female identifying Latinas um, in I don't know. I think New York. I think that's where the girls that he's working with. So hopefully, we'll have them back next year. And then on Saturday, June sixth, we're Super excited to be able to bring in national trans Latina advocate Bambi Salcedo, who has done so much work, advocacy work, advocacy work around migration, HIV, trans youth, trans adults. Um, oh, the list just goes on. I saw her um, and all of her people take over the stage at Creating Change in Denver this past. I think it was like February, March. But I went. Oh, I was crying. It was so beautiful and. She's just such an amazing speaker, so she's going to be doing our keynote speak around um, Latino family dynamics and the LGBTQI identities, as well as um, leading a workshop around fundraising for LGBTQI groups and organizations here in Pittsburgh in an effort to sort of help us be able to fund ourselves and continue the movement and the great work that we've been doing here. So um, it's really going to be a powerful, you know, place and – I'll have great food because all five Night Share events always have really good food um and great people and everybody is welcome to come and to learn and to just be comfortable. Whatever it is that they need, you can definitely find a place all week at Graphic Night Share.
0: Both of those sound really tremendous. Um uh, before I forget, because I can do yeah. that uh far too easily, you can call in if you're listening to this online. The call in number is six Four six six, six, eight eight six, seven, two, so feel free to call in if you've got a question or a comment, and uh we'll be on the air for about another ten minutes or so, and I'd love to have your questions and your comments in the next couple of weeks, as we move through June. I'm going to have some other uh episodes in this series about pride on June the first on Monday night instead of my normal Wednesday. Excuse me. I'm going to have uh, Joy KMT on to talk about Roots Pride Pittsburgh, which is a new entity that's growing by leaps and bounds every single day, that, which grew out of the protest to, uh, and you mentioned her, Iggy Azalea, coming to be the headliner at Pride in the Street at, at the kind of large, uh, more formal Pittsburgh Pride. Uh, so Joy's going to be on to talk a little bit about how the protest came about and how it shifted gears uh, rather than being about complaining and and um, being full of negativity to the creation of something that sounds very, very exciting. And so she'll be on on Monday, June the 1st from 6.30 to 7 to talk about that. And then the following week, I will have um, Richard Parsakian on to talk about the entertainment part. Pride Fest. Now, Pride Fest is a Sunday afternoon event during uh, Pittsburgh Pride, and uh, Richard always organizes the entertainment for it. There's lots of local individuals, uh, and they never get the kind of airtime they deserve, the promotion that they deserve. So I've asked Richard to come on and talk a little bit about the the entertainment at the Pride Fest Sunday event. Um, And in future weeks, I'm going to have somebody on talking about Trans Pride, and somebody on talking about black pride. So all of those will be listed on my uh Blog Talk Radio page and I'll be I'll be blasting it out uh, by social media as much as I can. Um, one thing you said, Tara, that uh, mm-hmm. I want to go back to and really highlight in a big way, and that's that notion about relationship building. Um it's sometimes it seems to me that when we think about being LGBTQIA, um, we get, we, some people, me included, Mm -hmm. we get really caught up in the fact that we have to know it all. We have to be good at it all already. And the reality is that pride and coming out and being visible, all of that is a journey that all of us are on, no matter how long we've been doing it or in what ways we've been doing it. And there's always something new for us to, to take in and learn and come to understand. And so that notion of building relationships is just so critically important, don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. I I think that that was an amazing point. And I think that it is really important to acknowledge that it is really difficult work that we do, especially people who do advocacy or just sort of trying to uncover and give visibility to communities that aren't often heard. and and because of that, it's really important that we stop and we listen and we validate because that is such a critical point of building relationships. Um, we often get caught up in just the advocacy work, um, and that's really important. And we shouldn't stop that. So I don't I don't say that to be critical, but I also just think that if we want any advocacy effort to be as powerful and as meaningful and as monumental as it can be, it really begins with just the relationships. No advocacy effort in the world has ever been successful without people having compassion and empathy for the person that's standing next to them. And it's particularly important when we talk about our communities, LGBTQIA communities, because anybody can fall in that category. You can be black, you can be white, you can be Asian, you can be Latino, you could identify as so many different things, be a part of so many different social classes, have so many different education levels, and yet we're all thrust into this one large category that has like 18 letters, and if ultimately our goal is to be representative of each other, we do need to stop and build those relationships for all of those reasons.
0: Sure, sure. And I think one other point you made earlier on that I want to go back to and that's that Pittsburgh is an evolving, changing city. I grew up here as a little kid and left when I was a sophomore in high school. And then came back as an adult to care for my grandmother since there was no other family close by and just ended up staying. And I've been here an awful long time.
2: And I love, right. it. I love right.
0: Pittsburgh. But you're right. And Pittsburgh was a city in neighborhoods, and every neighborhood had its own very distinct flavor and personality. And that grew out of the steel mill culture where uh, immigrants from different countries settled in different places because they had different types of jobs in the hierarchy of the steel industry. And today we're making a whole new kind of Pittsburgh, a Pittsburgh where neighborhoods are vibrant and full of many, many different kinds of people. Can you talk a little bit about how... um, you see Latino and Latina people fitting within that.
1: Yeah. You know, well, I do want to say, you know, you make a really great point and it's interesting how you framed it. I really enjoyed how you framed how the neighborhoods were actually formed around the steel
2: mills, because
1: I never really thought about, it. I'm not originally from Pittsburgh. And so I'm still kind of catching up to the Pittsburgh mindset and trying to understand how it ticks, if you will. Um, so I, I appreciated how you kind of framed that. And, and I think, um, that that is definitely one way that Pittsburgh became so neighborhood focused um that along with that same rhetoric there has also been a lot of policies that have kept out people of color from certain neighborhoods um have forced people out of the city you know particularly when you look at the Hill District and what happened with the Mellon Arena Homewood Larimer I mean you know um there are some really critical moments in history where neighborhoods weren't just sort of like, oh, we are who we are, and this is how we are, and we want to keep others out. But there was also systematic policies that kept people where they were, kept people out, and forced people out. Um, So I do want to take a moment to, like, acknowledge that. And I think that even goes back to the city's history when we talk about the indigenous population and how the city was even founded, you know, through the French and then, you know, the English, and now it's Pittsburgh. And so I think that there is – been a lot of struggle there for people of color in general to be recognized as having a place in Pittsburgh and a place of power in Pittsburgh. I think that for Latinos, our population, for some reason that I have yet to really fully understand, has never fully grown here. Every other major metropolitan area in the United States has a major Latino population. If we look at Pittsburgh in terms of trying to grow our tax base and trying to bring people into the city, we're really talking about brown and black people because millennials, generally people who are under the age of 35, are the highest likely to be able to move and willing to move for work. So when we talk about growing the city, we're talking about attracting millennials. Millennials are also a very different generation than the rest of the American generations. We are largely a brown and black you know, generation, and a lot of that is because of immigration or our parents are immigration, or we are of, some type of mix, whatever your mix may be. I'm Puerto Rican and Polish, so I proudly call that out. you know. And so when we think about that and we think about the statistics of the country, the country is about to be 30% Latino, and the average age of Latinos is 26 years old. So when we actually apply all of those statistics to Pittsburgh and we think about the future of our country and what that actually means for Pittsburgh being a viable city, a diverse city, that means attracting people who are diverse, who are brown and black, and who do want to see themselves reflected in the fabric of the city. I speak to a lot of young professionals of all different backgrounds that come to Pittsburgh from many different areas, and they simply just don't understand, well, wait, where is the Latin population? Or, like, wait, why why are the only, you know, people of color neighborhoods Neighborhoods that people don't want to go to like this is not necessarily the case in any other part of the country. So if Pittsburgh wants to catch up with the rest of the country, we also need to be a place where brown and black and people of all different colors who enjoy diversity who are a part of this millennial, the future you know that they feel comfortable, that they feel welcome, that they see themselves reflected in the marketing, that they see themselves reflected in the businesses, that they see themselves reflected in social services, in pretty much every aspect of the city. And so, to bring that back to your point, that is where Latinos fit in. You know, Latinos are part of the future. We are part of what can make Pittsburgh a city that is for everybody. I also want to say that I tell the story of Latinos because I am Latina. I and not the person that can tell the story of a different immigrant class or a different culture or a different race. So I'm doing my little part to do it, and I really hope to continue to build bridges and to build relationships with other people who are doing the same work in the city, and I hope to inspire others to do the same work in the city because I can't do it alone. I need other people to be doing it with me, and I know there's a lot of other people who are also doing that work, and we just need to continue
0: growing that. That was so wonderful. I, I I wish we could just talk for a long, long time. But I only have a, have a little bit more time with you on the line today, and then we're going to have a few great days coming up. June fifth and sixth are the two day two days, and I put a link to your Facebook page in the show notes here, and I'll make sure to broadcast it more later. Um, I I uh, the comment you made about the Hill district was really important. And I, I want to go back to that. Um, you know, the city at one time built this, this built the civic arena and by doing it, it, it chopped the Hill district off from everything and forced that neighborhood to really deteriorate and become um, a neighborhood that has just struggled. It, it's, it's, it continues to have so much life force up there, but it's not the vibrant community that it was. So thank you so much for mentioning that. We have just yeah. a few seconds. Anything you want to end with? Come to
1: my event on June 5th and June 6th. It's going to be awesome. It's at Arts Theater. Okay, everyone out. is
0: welcome. Everyone yes. is welcome. Thank you so much everyone. for being on air. Maybe I can have you back another time. And I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. Julia, thank you for your question, and I'll be back next week with another episode of thomasseawaters.com on Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everyone. Thank
1: you, Thomas. <laughs> Good night. Bye-bye.